The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gagillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at and slash hypergig for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go paper-tarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Too Much Information is a production of iHeartRadio. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Too Much Information, the show that brings you the secret histories and little-known fascinating facts about your favorite movies, TV shows, music, and more. We are your two doyens of drivel. I'm Alex Heigl. And I'm Jordan Runtog. And today, Jordan, we are venturing into a bold new direction for TMI, foodstuffs, specifically Oreos, which are celebrating their 110th anniversary this year. I have personally always thought of Oreos as the, to use an NBA metaphor, the sixth man of the cookie world, the anchor. You know, they're not chalky and disgusting like a Chips Ahoy. They're wantonly sexual like a Nutter Butter or snooty like those highfalutin Pepperidge Farm folks. They're the John Stockton, Utah Jazz reference of the cookie aisle. All-time assist leader, just happy to be out there with the rest of the guys, having a good time, playing their best, and helping the team. But Jordan, you you hit me with a scorching hot take right before we started recording. Would you like to repeat that for the fine folks out there? Yeah, you know, I'm not a huge Oreos fan, and I do have strong thoughts on sweets. Um, I don't really drink, and you tend to find that people who don't drink have an especially intense sweet tooth. So I can prattle on about cookies like some people do about brandy or wine, and I have to say... I don't know if it's a case of familiarity breeds contempt, but I'm just not a huge Oreos fan. And the flavor's okay, but just the experience of eating them to me is is garbage. I mean, let's face it, the cookie itself, or, or the wafer, if you're being professional, is trash. It's stale, <laughs> it's crummy, it's bitter tasting, terrible mouthfeel, if we're getting really professional here. Um, I'm not a dipper, so maybe that's part of the problem. Maybe if I dipped, it would be less like, you know, eating gravel. Um, <laughs> I feel like no one actually likes the cookie portion of Oreo. It's all about the cream uh, filling. Yeah, I'll allow, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's the cream. And the cream is fine. It's sweet. It's vaguely cream tasting. It's sugary. It's sweet i don't know it's fine I mean, for me oreo is great as a flavor of ice cream or milkshakes <laughs> or the cookies and cream candy bar that's where the flavor profile of oreo is great but the actual experience of eating them eh, not for me i could take them or leave them okay. i'll take malamars or their fancy cousin pinwheels any day but how about you you know as someone who used to smoke a lot of weed i've had a lot of experience <laughs> with oreos all kinds of Oreos, the peanut butter. Also, uh, I, you know, as longtime listeners of the show will know, I grew up in central Pennsylvania, so I have eaten my fair share of chocolate covered and or deep fried Oreos at the state fairs. That I've um, never had. I've never actually had that, despite my disgusting. Pennsylvania why would you eat it? Myself. It's awful. Just why would you? It's awful. Just put yourself into like a painful state of food coma and or diabetic shock. Um, <laughs> yeah, they're bad. I don't know why. People do that to themselves. Well, folks, from the vicious family feud at the heart of the cookie's invention to the insane process of making that famous filling kosher certified in the late 90s to the definitive scientific proof regarding the distribution of said filling to the high school seniors who got in trouble for shoving Oreos up their butt. That was Jordan's edition. Here's everything you didn't know 
about Oreos. <laughs> the tangled web of Oreos actually begins in a bit of family-slash-corporate battles. I did not know this. Around the turn of the 19th century, biscuits were big business in America. Uh, did you know this? I did not know this, no, Huge. but I know that they were they were basically trying to make biscuits a thing over here in the way that they were in the UK for tea time. Yes. I think that was kind of the whole idea, was that they were trying to create a market need where there was none over here. Yes. And so in the late 19th century, two brothers, Jacob and Joseph Luce, bought a controlling interest in the Coral Cracker and Confectionery Company in Kansas City, Missouri. So... I can't believe you read that in one take. Wow. Yeah, neither, neither can I. Um, the particulars of this are not interesting. The point is, is that Jacob decides that a bunch of Midwest bakeries can form together and become a regional powerhouse to compete with those snooty coastal elites. Big Biscuit in New York. And so in 1890, he hires a lawyer named Adolphus Green to oversee a merger that creates the American Biscuit and Manufacturing Company, which becomes the second largest corporate bakery in America. Jacob names himself president, appoints his brother Joseph to the board of directors, and Adolphus to general counsel. Meanwhile, in 1889, a guy named William H. Moore combines a number of other bakeries to start the New York Biscuit Company. Moore is more or less the archetype for what would become the kind of 1980s Patrick Bateman corporate raider mergers and acquisition guys. His whole thing was buying and consolidating companies. He lost $1.1 million at one point in an attempt to buy the Carnegie Steel Company, but subsequently tried again with the assistance of J.P. Morgan and John D. Rockefeller and succeeded creating U.S. Steel, which is one of the archetypal industrial megacorporations of the 20th century. So this is the guy who's behind New York Biscuit. So the moral of the story is you don't want to mess with New York Biscuit, it sounds no, like. No, 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 no. So American Biscuit, New York Biscuit, and a third company called United States Baking Company. These guys did have just terrible names. Uh, battled each other for years in what broadsheet journalists actually dubbed the Biscuit Wars at the time. And it got so bad that Jacob had to take a step back from American Biscuit for health reasons. And Joseph, <laughs> now in control decides to make peace and merge with the other two companies in 1898, a move Jacob vehemently protested against from his sickbed. Is this like the plot of The Godfather? With Very like, much so. Like yes. Sonny trying to make peace with the other families? While, Look how while they massacred Dawn. my boy. Yeah. Uh, he said that about Chips Ahoy later. Um, <laughs> so the merger nevertheless goes through, and the three companies become the National Biscuit Company. Nabisco. Get it. There's no way to say that. That doesn't sound like a cult indoctrination. Forever. <laughs> Forever. Ba-ram you. <laughs> Nabisco. Anyway, Joseph installs himself. Uh, lawyer Adolphus One Green. One of us. <laughs> Nabisco. And some other ex-buddies of Jacob's. And the company builds an enormous factory in what is now the Chelsea market and is well on its way to national dominance. Yeah, this building in Manhattan is absolutely massive. It's a full city block, and that stretch of Ninth Avenue is named Oreo Way in its honor. And interesting point of fact, the birthplace of the Oreo is now owned by Google. They purchased the building in 2018 for $2.4 I guess that's what that's a, a spicy of, cookie. <laughs> that's what a block of uh, meatpacking district Manhattan costs, I suppose. Oh. Boy. Um, so Nabisco launches the wildly popular Barnum's Animal Crackers in 1903, although that is, like most things this company does, a ripoff of, of an existing British cookie. Uh, Fig Newtons also come up around this time. And then in 1912, both Lorna Dunes and Oreos. So quite a quite a batting average out of the gate but all those cookies are trash i mean especially <laughs> fig newtons are popular to eat at the beach because it already tastes like you're eating sand so no one can tell when there's already sand in it i yeah i mean lorna dunes i can't believe those are still being made that's i mean i don't think there's anybody under the age of 70 who eats those i hate all these cookies oreos gets a pass <laughs> just out of nostalgia alone but i yeah um Interesting fact about the sort of democratic way that Nabisco goes about developing products. There was an article that appeared in a 1931 issue of The New Yorker written by E.B. White, the man who wrote Charlotte's Web. 
mm-hmm. and he describes his visit to the Nabisco headquarters in New York and the very kind of casual way that employees could suggest new cookie ideas. Um, presumably there was like a suggestion box and then the bakers would make them and then test these products out by basically just leaving them out in the break room and watching to see how many were eaten. And uh, E.B. White writes in this piece, a baker makes up a trial batch of the new model and sends them upstairs where they're placed in an open rack by the water cooler. Employees (laughs) may help themselves. Everything is informal. There are no charts or tables. After a few days have elapsed, the heads of the department simply meet and talk the thing over. As soon as the cookie has passed its test, it gets a name. We'll talk more about the Oreo name later. That's how uh, Pablo Escobar ran his business, too. But, (laughs) Jacob... In the meantime, heals up and from his deathbed rises with a vengeance and launches another new biscuit company with another guy and uh, calls it the Loose Wiles Biscuit Company. They really got to work on these names. But with the burning hatred and drive born of this Cain and Abel-esque story, he brings the Loose Wiles Biscuit Company up into the number two biscuit slot in the country behind Nabisco largely on the strength of one cookie, a shortbread and cream sandwich with an ornate stamp design called Hydrox. So we have to backtrack here because the quiet part loud about Oreos is that they are a total ripoff of Hydrox. They came out in 1908. Nabisco files a trademark on Oreo in 1912, uh, and it is granted in 1913. The first Oreo was sold on March 6, 1912 to a grocer in Hoboken, New Jersey. They were sold by weight originally at a cost of $2.35 for nine and a quarter pounds. The Oreos cost $1.85, and the tin they came in cost another 50 cents. Uh, the original Oreos were ever so slightly larger than the ones we enjoy today. And most importantly to me, they went on <laughs> sale just a month before the Titanic set sail on her maiden voyage, meaning there's quite possibly remains of early Oreo packaging on the ocean floor. Although it departed from the UK, so I doubtful it got over there. But people it, on board the Titanic may have been aware of Oreos, and that's good enough for me. They were eating Hydrox, you know that. Right. <laughs> I just want to recap for a second, just because the, this story, mostly due to the really terrible corporate names, can be a little hard to follow, but it's amazing. So two brothers start a cookie company, a cookie conglomerate. The older brother works so hard that he then has to take a step back. He's sick. He's worked himself to the bone. His younger brother makes peace with all the competing other cookie companies, and they merge against the older brother's wishes. The older brother gets well, and he's so angry that his younger brother has sold his own company out from underneath him that he makes a competing company to take them on. And this competing company has made... Basically, what's the prototype of Oreo known as Hydrox? I just think that's amazing. Cain and Abel doesn't even begin to cover it. Here's what's funny about this. Hydrox were far more successful than Oreos at the time. The real power behind the throne at this point is the Jewish community. In 1924, Luce Wiles, the company behind Hydrox, partnered with the Union of Orthodox Jewish Congregations of America to create the country's first kosher certification program. Which, because Hydroxes don't use lard in their cream, whereas Oreos did, made Hydroxes enormously popular among the Jewish community. And this contributed to their early market dominance. Um, Nabisco attempted to hitch the Oreo name to a bunch of their other more successful products in displays and advertisements. Um, There's a wonderful anecdote of this copy from Sirius Eats. Uh, one, in 1914, one store found itself with a surfeit of Oreos to the tune of 700 tins, so they slashed the price and literally berated their customers into trying to buy them. Uh, Yesterday, we advertised those splendid Oreos, and they were a great bargain. While we sold a few, they didn't move anything like we expected. It's simply a case of you not knowing what a fine biscuit delicacy they are. The customer, they're they're literally the principal Skinner meme. Is this cookie bad? No, it's the customer who is wrong. (laughs) I love that. Uh, But, you know, the Hydrox ban, these guys, they bungled an early lead, man. It's rough. Yeah, I mean, for starters, there's that truly horrendous name, Hydrox. It sounds terrible. On the page, it looks terrible. It looks like a Greek monster (laughs) with, like, six heads. It's, It's awful. Uh they were looking for a product name that would evoke purity and goodness, and 
good lord, they failed. Uh, but they <laughs> or maybe decided... they succeeded too much and just evoked antiseptic sterility. Right, because I guess the name Hydrox came from the atomic elements of water, hydrogen and oxygen, Hydrox. And this was surprisingly given how ugly it sounds and how it <laughs> does not roll off the tongue in any way. It was actually a really common name at the time. There was the Hydrox aerated table water. There was Hydrox ice cream. Oh, God. And <laughs> Hydrox ginger ale. And as you mentioned, has a very antiseptic medical connotation and not something that you want connected with confections. So perhaps because of the whole Warring Brothers thing, for 50 years, Loose Wiles really leaned on the whole copycat aspect of Oreos. They were really promoting Hydrox as the original. Beware of imitators. Uh, there was one ad that featured a bear cub literally crying over stolen cookies. <laughs> and their ad copy used words like first and the finest and the original and the only and the classic and warned consumers, don't be fooled by lookalikes. So much finger wagging. I love it. Um, Oreo <laughs> cookie, did, however. Cutthroat cookie world. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, Jacob, uh, the same year Jacob dies. The older brother who quit. His body not even cold in the grave. Oreo sends out a series of ads that would change the world. With no exaggeration, I say this. They promote the classic Oreo twist method of eating. It's on uh, streetcars, I believe, is the big one. Say, you know, Everybody's doing the Oreo twist. Maybe they didn't say that. I don't know. But... Um, that's where the twist dates back to. It's 1923. Coincidentally, the same year the brother dies. I just, this whole thing is so Shakespearean. They did the Oreo uh, twist on his grave. hey um, By 2014, the Hydrox name had fallen so far that Keebler Kellogg's let the trademark lapse and it was snapped up by Leaf Brands, who four years later filed a complaint with the FTC against Oreos alleging that they hid Hydrox companies from customers on store shelves. Oh, they hid Hydrox cookies from customers? That was the basis of the suit. I don't know if it was actually settled. But man, talk about, with my last breath, I stab at thee. From hell's dark heart, I stab at thee. They went, they just, Hydrox versus Oreo, feud of the century. Well, yeah, I mean, this was the, this was the Coke Pepsi of the early 20th century. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back with more Too Much Information in just a moment. Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Hydrox dead and buried, Oreos were free to blossom. So Jordan, <laughs> tell us about that. Yes. The Oreo went by many variations of their famous name over the years. When they were first introduced in 1912, they were simply known as the Oreo Biscuit. And then by 1921, the cookie embraced its shape, and it was renamed the Oreo Sandwich. And in 1937, the name was changed again to the distinctively highbrow 
Oreo cream sandwich. And as I was saying earlier at the top of the episode, this was a way to play off the British biscuits that were served at tea time. And upon their initial launch, Oreos were marketed as fairly high end. There's this amazing bit of ad copy from, I think, around 1912 when they were first unveiled. Uh, and it describes the Oreo as, quote, two beautifully embossed chocolate flavored wafers with a rich cream filling, hmm. which is overselling Oreos slightly. <laughs> And the final <laughs> official name change to Oreos came in 1974 when the cookie became known as the Oreo Chocolate Sandwich Cookie, or Oreo for short. And that's its official name to this very day. Um, anyway, while we're on the topic of names, it's still anybody's guess where the term Oreo came from. But there are many theories. It could be derived from the French word for gold, which was an early decorative element for the Oreo packaging. But here's a grab bag of other explanations that are out there. There's one theory that says that the name stemmed from the hill-shaped test version that never made it to store shelves. I guess the cream was piled up like a little mountain. And that inspired this cookie prototype to be named Oreo, which is the Greek word for mountain. So that's one theory. There's another theory that says that the word Oreo is a combination of the R-E from cream and sandwiching it, just like the cookie, between the two O's in chocolate. O from chocolate, re from cream, O from chocolate. It's a verbal visual pun. It's not, I, I you know, I might I just want to say, that. I want you to do, you're doing like the drunk Don Draper, like hand gesturing thing. <laughs> is... It's just like you know, the two O's and chocolate. It makes, it makes Oreo. <laughs> Roger Sterling throws up in the lobby. <laughs> I mean, that's probably how this was named. Um, <laughs> right? They're all on cocaine, just yeah. zooted up like, oh, what should we call it? Oreo. Ghosts. <laughs> uh, theory number three. It stands for orexigenic which is a medical term for substances that stimulate the appetite. I would tend to want to dismiss this out of hand, but considering Hydrox was its competitive <laughs> name, uh, maybe. That's, well, that's, wait do you get to the good. plant conspiracy theory, which is the next one. Yes, yes. This is a really good one. This is your personal favorite and probably mine too. The decorations on the top of Hydrox, the Hydrox cookie at that point, included a mountain laurel. And guess what genus of plant they belong to, the mountain laurel. That's right, Oreo Daphne. Mm -hmm. Oreo Daphne. Uh, and this is bolstered by the fact that someone at Nabisco clearly had a thing for plants. Uh, of the cookies that Nabisco offered in 1913, there's the Avena, the Lotus, the Helicon, the Zephyret, the Zatona, the Enola, the Ramona, and Oreo. And those are all Latin or botany names for different kinds of plants. I just love the idea that there's like one drunk guy in the Nabisco <laughs> copywriting thing. He's like, I'm going to name all those plants. No one will know. <laughs> um, while we're on the topic of that embossing, that beautiful laurel wreath that kind of looks like a manhole cover at this point. Um, <laughs> when they launched, Oreos used a much more organic plant-derived wreath for the emboss, adding two pairs of turtle doves in a 1924 redesign. The contemporary Oreo stamp was introduced in 1952, and it has remained unchanged ever since. Every Oreo cookie contains 90 ridges, 12 flowers, 12 dashes, and 12 dots. I feel like that's going to be a great trivia question at some bar trivia somewhere, so remember that. It's probably some kind of satanic numbering thing. Um, uh, we'll get to that. <laughs> many people on the internet credit a man named William Turnier who started as a mailboy at Nabisco with the four-leaf clover and serrated edge design. But Nabisco is cagey about it. They will only confirm that a man by that name worked for the company during that time as a design engineer. In a very granular bit of internet dorkery, in the comments section of a 2011 New York Times Magazine article about the Oreo embossing, a guy claiming to be William Turnier's son, Bill, said that the original blueprints for the cookie are in his possession in North Carolina. Did you go into the comment section of this 2011 New York Times Magazine article about the Oreo embossing? I a just picked you scanning all the comments. A good sections. magician never reveals his secrets. <laughs> okay. Um, but William Turnier's son, the aforementioned Bill, was interviewed by Mental Floss, and he said that the design on Oreos, quote, goes back to monks, who used it on the bottom of manuscripts they copied in medieval times. It was a sign of craft, saying they did the best they could. 
And there have been some out there, internet sleuths most likely, who've noted the similarities between the Oreo design and the graphics used by the Freemasons and the Knights Templar, <laughs> thus linking the beloved cookie with the Crusades, <laughs> which I did not expect when we started this episode. <laughs> um, Bill also claimed that his dad modified the Animal Crackers box. His contribution to that was adding the grass along the bottom, designed the logo for Nutter Butters and Milk Bones. And may have contributed to the design for the Ritz Cracker. Uh, William Sr. left the East Coast and settled in Salt Lake City, where his grave marker features an Oreo. Uh, Bizarrely enough, uh, given their seeming silence on crediting him, Bill claims that Nabisco contacted his dad at one point to help confirm aspects of the Oreo's design in order to build a lawsuit against a company making a copycat cookie in Trinidad and Tobago. Turnabout is fair play, Nabisco. <laughs> but the only thing in the official craft archives for Turnier is the receipt of a suggestion award in 1972 for an idea that increased the production of Nilla wafers on company machinery by 13%. <laughs> so this, the company reaches out to him. They're like, hey, do you have the original blueprint for Oreos? Someone is trying to copy us at Trinidad and Tobago. And he's like, sure, I'll help you out. And they still, like, disavow his credit for that. But, yeah, so between Oreos, Milk Bones, Nutter Butters, Animal Crackers, Ritz Crackers, and increasing the productivity of Nilla Wafers in 1972 by a whopping 13%, William Turnier may be the secret MVP of the Oreos story. I just want to do, I want to do my transition here. Just ding, 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 ding. All right, on my way. Ding, ding. That was terrible. Cut that. That went over much better in my head. The, the name of the heading is Ori on my way. Like the song that's um, um, Send Me on My Way. That's, yeah. not, the, that's not Rusted Root, is it? Yeah. I saw Rusted Root as a kid. No way. Yeah. How'd that go for you? I'm, I'm sitting here talking to you. It's great. <laughs> All right, that digression well and truly dead. <laughs> now we arrive at the real heart of the matter. Yes, the Oreo filling, really the only good part of Oreos, if we're all being honest with ourselves. This is the most heated you have been about anything in the months we've been doing this podcast. I mean, I think there's, there's no reason why Oreos should be as big as they are. There's, there's subpar in effectively every way. <laughs> Just get on with it. Um, but yes, the Oreo filling, uh, the man credited with its modern incarnation is named Mr. Sam Porcello. Um, first of all, did you know that there's a reason why cream in Oreo is spelled C-R-E-M-E? Why is that? because it contains no dairy and therefore cannot be marketed using the spelling of cream, which implies that cash is everywhere around me. Um, (laughs) also, uh, while we're on the topic of cream... Each original Oreo cookie is 29% cream and 71% cookie. That Hmm. is the official ratio. And Oreo bakeries make more than 123,000 tons of cream to fill their cookies each year. That's incredible. I want you to to Viking funeral me into the Oreo cream (laughs) vat. Just put me on a pyre and set me on fire in the middle of one of those. The gentleman who's credited with creating the modern incarnation of the Oreo cream, uh, Mr. Sam Porcello, uh, he arrived at Nabisco in 1959 and worked there for 34 years, retiring in 1993. Porcello's actual title was principal scientist, but his son described him as one of the world's foremost experts on cocoa, which eventually earned him the nickname, the honorific, really, Mr. Oreo. It's This is where it gets really wild. Sarah Joyner is this woman who uncovered this. It basically makes journalists look bad. This <laughs> is this whole story. So, But go ahead. Continue. I just want to credit her because she really did the legwork here. Yes. Uh, ground zero for this whole theory that Porcello is uh, the guy who created the modern Oreo filling uh, appears in his 2012 obituary in the New York Daily News, which was then picked up by the blogging community around the world. Um, yes, this woman, Sarah Joyner, uh, researching Porcello in 2020, reached out to Mondelez, which is the parent company of Oreo, and they told her it would be inaccurate to say that Sam Porcello invented the modern Oreo cream. And 
a former Oreo rep she was exchanging emails with, said that she hadn't even heard of Porcello. So there's some kind of erasure going on here. With this <laughs> Oreo really isn't like crediting the people who are behind. You got the guy who invented the embossing. You got the guy who invented the modern cream. Something's going on here. But it turns out that the real story is, as ever, very technical and boring. Porcello's largest contribution to the Oreo cookie was in modifying the chemical composition of the filling so that it was solid at room temperature, but melts at 98 degrees, as in when it hits your mouth. Uh, But he shared those developments with three other food scientists, and basically the credit he gets for being Mr. Oreo pretty much comes down to the work of his own family's hagiography since his death. This whole thing is so fascinating to me because if you look up Oreo and you look up Oreo filling, it's like lodged in SEO. But the original New York Daily News link is dead and you can only find it through the Internet News Archive. So the only link to this story is now in like it's like playing telephone. It's only in blogs aggregating that story. So one is on Time, uh, the Time magazine website. And so this woman, Sarah Joyner, is researching this and it basically... I think what happened was this New York Daily News guy knew or heard or got a tip about this guy dying and just interviewed his family. And his family was like, oh, yeah, dad was like Mr. Oreo. He invented the Oreo filling. But the more you dig into it, the more it turns out that, like, he just refined the formula with a bunch of really boring food chemistry things related to filling solubility. And he retired in 1993, which... You know, we get into this next thing. They take out lard in 1994 and they take out the vegetable oils they replaced the lard with in 2006. So by 2020, his formula was already two recipes out of date. And this woman, this Sarah Joyner is very, it's very sweet because she's like talking to his son and she's like, oh yeah, like they wouldn't have kept up with the formula changes. Like to them, their dad is still the guy who invented the Oreo filling. Like their dad is still Mr. Oreo. They didn't mean to mislead anyone. It was just like lazy journalism. Nobody bothered to fact check this. And it's just, I don't know. I find it very sweet in like a This American Life sort of way. <laughs> like this family from Jersey is just like their dad is Mr. Oreo to them. And they told and he always uh, will be. And he always will be. And they told a single paper and the paper didn't bother to fact check it. And it's become fact. Anyway. I just want to tell everyone that I titled this next section, A Rabbi and a Blowtorch Walk into a Cookie Factory. (laughs) Remember how I said when Hydrox were hugely popular with the Jewish community because they were kosher? So Oreo, in their apparently never-ending quest to bury all memory of their predecessor and salt the earth, decided to alter their recipe and go kosher in uh, 1994, years after Porcello retired, or the year after Porcello retired. Also 1994 at a time when Hydrox barely existed. I know, right? They're like, someone was just, it's like a Monty Burns, like one of the last surviving executives is like, crush hydrox. This is so fascinating to me. This guy, uh, Joe Regenstein, professor of food science at Cornell and director of the Cornell Kosher and Halal Food Initiative, called this process probably the most expensive conversion of a company from non-kosher to kosher in a 2008 interview. And this apparently started when a number of ice cream companies wanted to start using Oreos in their products, which were kosher, and couldn't because of the lard. So Nabisco owned approximately 100 baking ovens, each about 300 feet in length, and they all had to be converted to kosher, a process that literally involved a rabbi crawling through them with a blowtorch. Because the ovens were not kosher and baking is a dry, high-heat process, each one of these units had to be heated to red-hot temperatures. Uh, Regenstein said, you need to use a blowtorch to clean away the forbidden materials. So I tell my therapist. Um, <laughs> additionally, each oven contained a soft plastic belt that cost upwards of $150,000 at a time, and each of these needed to be replaced. This process took three and a half years, wound up in 1997, after which I guess they got Zelda Rubenstein from the Poltergeist movie to come in and be like, this house is clean. Uh, This all brings us to a larger question. How do you make an Oreo? Well, obviously, the official ingredient list is a closely guarded secret, and if we told you, we'd have to kill you. But there are 11 major ingredients. They are as follows. Sugar, unbleached flour, canola oil, high fructose corn syrup, baking soda, cornstarch, salt, soy lectin, vanillin, and chocolate. 
And in an article celebrating the 75th birthday of Oreos from back in 1986, this piece describes 500-degree gas ovens as long as football fields capable of cranking out 2,000 cookies a minute. And to quote the piece, an Oreo takes less than an hour to make, a half hour of mixing in bins the size of Volkswagen Beetles, and another 20 minutes on the conveyor belts, being pressed into shape and then bobbing along from the third floor to the first through ovens and cooling tunnels, under the icing drum, and into machines that stack and deal Oreos like cards into cellophane packages. But the fine folks at Nabisco have a rigid approach to quality control, and there are, quote, bins the size of hot tubs filled with broken Oreo wafers. And some of these are ground up and reused in the batter, while others are sold to ice cream companies to be crumbled and mixed into their ice cream. But about 5% of the cookies wind up B&R, or broken and rejected, and thrown away. And so my way, therapist says. Yeah, haven't we all been B&R at one time or another? As you meditate on that, we'll be right back with more Too Much Information after these messages. Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Next up. We have a little section called Karma, 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 Kavigi. Nope, that was terrible. Don't, I swear to God, if you don't cut that. They replaced the lard with partially hydrogenated vegetable oil, and then they subsequently replaced that in 2006 with healthier and more expensive non-hydrogenated vegetable oil. Folks, if you're waiting for an explanation for what those terms are, wait longer, because I don't have it. Uh, This came after the uh, FDA in 2003 had announced new labeling requirements uh, that required manufacturers to list trans fats on their packaging. Which are closely linked to heart disease. Especially, they're fine with doing it until they're being ordered to actually reveal that they're doing it. Yeah, every single company in the world. So at some point, this change in formula gave rise to the claim that Oreos are vegan, which is like one of the most commonly recited talking points about them. But uh, according to at least one check of their UK website, there exists the possibility of cross-contaminations with dairy products at their facilities. And one extremely hardline vegan blog that I found, they contacted uh, Oreo directly in 2010 and got the answer that unfortunately for the militant vegans among us, some of the enzymes used to condition dough in processed goods are animal-derived. So you've got the blood of microscopic organisms on your hands. And some sugar suppliers use the animal-derived natural charcoal, bone char, in their sugarcane refining process. So depending on your tolerance for animal products, and we are literally talking parts per million, but if you're, and nothing, no shame, if you're one of those people who's like, I want everything I eat to be completely free of the blood of animals, I don't think Oreos your your ticket there. Speaking of enormous multinational corporations, uh, there is an entertaining story of some corporate subterfuge that entangled Oreo recently, eh, recently-ish. In 2014, two California men were sentenced to prison time after stealing the formula 
for a chemical whitening agent called titanium dioxide from American chemical company DuPont. So this titanium oxide dioxide from DuPont specifically is like the purest, like most sought after white pigment in the world. And it's jealously guarded. And so these guys broke in there and sold the formula to Pangang Group, a Chinese company that had been unsuccessfully trying to buy this formula for over $20 million. The conviction of these men in the court documents subsequently leaked to the fact that Oreo used this chemical to whiten their filling and had hid it from the ingredients list, which caused some concern because recent studies have flagged it as a carcinogen. So all is not as pure white as the driven <laughs> filling. And speaking of Oreos and countries with communist ties with whom we have a troubled relationship, <laughs> did you know that Oreos apparently weren't officially available in Russia until 2015? Hmm. Did you? I, I did sure you? <laughs> Look at me when I'm talking to you. <laughs> uh, China got them a little earlier in 1996, but they tanked when they were first released. To the point that they actually considered withdrawing Oreos from Chinese stores altogether. But instead, the Nabisco parent company at the time, Kraft, decided to take a very uh, ironically democratic approach and um, ask the Chinese consumers what they didn't like about Oreos so they could adapt them for that market. And after receiving feedback, they invented a new kind of Oreo to appeal to China. And it's more like a wafer. It's four layers of a crispy cookie with a vanilla or chocolate cream center in the middle. Not unlike a pirouette, you know, those kind of long cigar-shaped things. Yeah, it's like that. It's very, very, very different from the Oreo we know and love. Uh, by 2006, this Oreo wafer had become the best-selling biscuit in China. So hmm. just after a decade after they were considering withdrawing from the market altogether, they were now number one. And Kraft expanded the production of this adapted cookie into other parts of Asia, Australia, and even Canada. And there are all sorts of interesting international flavors of Oreos. There is blueberry ice cream and coconut delight in Indonesia. Argentina has a duo flavor, dolce de leche and banana. And China has green tea flavored and mango. And in August of 2018, they released two savory flavored Oreo fillings, hot chicken wing and wasabi, no. which Jesus Christ. Uh, this leads us to our patented section on gross oreo flavors all right so so the the, the original failure was a lemon uh, uh i think they made lemon meringue they called lemon meringue oreo in the 1920s which was discontinued i think that was released alongside like the chocolate oreo when they first were dropped in 1912 sadists uh golden oreos are vanilla cookies with the same vanilla cream as the original oreos golden chocolate cream oreos known as the quote uh-oh oreo until 2007 are the reverse of the original cookie, vanilla cookies with chocolate cream frosting. But here's what you folks have been waiting for, a semi-complete list of other Oreo flavors running the gamut from mildly offbeat to fully disgusting. There's the famous birthday cake Oreos. Good. Swedish fish. Bad. Creamsicle. Eh. Banana split cream. Really bad. Neapolitan. Sure. I don't even know what triple-double means. I guess that's triple stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, good, good. Best so far. <laughs> Candy corn. No, I don't like candy corn as a standalone thing. Why would you I want have... it as an Oreo? As a subpar cookie. Coconut fudge. Sure. Aren't those just uh, hopalongs or dosi dos or whatever from the Girl Scout cookies? Oh, no. Those are Samoas, and those are way better, but eh, it's fine. Gingerbread. Sure. Candy cane. Mm. White fudge covered. Okay. I don't even know how you do this. Cookies and cream Oreos. I don't either, because that's cookies and cream is Oreo flavored. So yeah, it's an right? Oreo flavored Oreo. I know. <laughs> a recursive Oreo. Oh, no, I've gone cross-eyed. Root beer float. <laughs> no. Watermelon. Terrible. Marshmallow crisp. Uh, I don't understand that. No. Caramel apple. No. Limeade. God. There's definitely, yeah, I mean, pumpkin spice you have to. That was good. Before. That was good. Yeah. Okay. That was, very, that was very good. Cookie dough. Yeah, it was fine. Red velvet. Uh, cotton candy sure s'mores mm, cinnamon bun which is not on here was the best oh have yeah. you had the churro shaped oreos no 
I think they're wow. just those, the flavors are the same. They're just shaped like churros. Oh, I have seen those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I haven't had those yet. Actually, I haven't had most of these. I'm just judging from the name. <laughs> um, if you missed out on the chance to see these um, these limited edition Oreo flavors on store shelves, you're in luck. There was an exhibit at the Museum of Failure in Los Angeles which has most of these flavors, although the exhibit might have closed by now. There's also a Coca-Cola flavored Oreo, which I don't remember. I can see that. It's yeah, kind of a... It's a synergy thing, yeah. <laughs> Somebody got paid. Drunk John Draper. Right. Coca-Cola um, <laughs> Head hits the table. <laughs> and, you know, I've often wondered in those twilight hours when I can't sleep and I'm pondering all the things that are going wrong in my life, um, and to try to make it so that I can actually have a few moments of blissful slumber before I have to wake up and face another day of compiling these insanely researched episodes. I think about why, why would the good folks at Nabisco flood the market with these truly grotesque flavors of Oreos? More than 50 at this point, more often than not disgusting. Well, apparently there's a method to their madness. GQ interviewed a Cornell University behavioral economist named David Just to explain this phenomenon. The key is that Nabisco's not trying to introduce the flavors for long-term consumption, he says. You build in this idea of really tacky flavors, and that sort of builds this relationship to the consumer who likes to sort of check out these kitschy Oreos, he explained. And as an added bonus, many younger consumers basically give the company free PR by posting these new flavor reviews on social media. So David Just describes this approach by Oreos as, quote, building a personality behind its brand. I love them. Do you buy that? Sounds like corporate horseshit to me. I mean, I buy it. I think it's a cheap and easy, well, relatively cheap and easy way of market testing new flavors that they mm. can maybe enter into the mainstream. Yeah. And also, yeah, that's actually, I thought a hell of a lot more about Oreos when they introduced some bizarre new flavor that more often than not, I was curious about trying than I would have if it was just the same old thing that had been around for 110 years. So, yeah, maybe. Yeah, true. All right. KG, good for them. Uh, then, of course, Oreo's Oreo O's cereal launched in 1997, discontinued in 2007, everywhere other than South Korea, and relaunched 10 years later. And speaking of 2017, uh, Virginia-based The Vale Brewing Company released a version of their chocolate milk stout called Hornswoggler that was infused with actual Oreo cookies. I haven't tried it. Don't know how I feel about it. Don't care. Uh... I'm not going to Virginia for chocolate stuff, even if it does have. Uh, I can't believe it's taken us this long to get to double stuff. Yeah, but like many things at the heart of America, it is a lie. <laughs> uh, featuring not actually double, but closer to 1.86 times as much stuff. Uh, those date back to uh, 1975. Apparently, it was like a high school class that actually crunched the numbers on that and figured out that it wasn't actually double stuffed. It was like a big story a couple of years ago. We mentioned the triple stuff, but that was not the biggest Oreo. 1984, uh, Oreo introduced the big stuff varietal, uh, which is about 10 times the size of regular Oreo. Wow. Sold individually, each big stuff contained 250 calories, which well, that's actually mm -hmm. not which I thought. Mm -hmm. 13 grams of fat. Bad tracks. I saw an anecdote earlier that took someone like 20 minutes to eat one at a sustainable pace. Well, yeah, because uh, it's like it's probably like saltines. Your mouth from the cookie, it gets so dry. It's probably hard to eat. Three inches in diameter. That can't possibly be right. How thick is it? Oh, yeah, I guess that's true. Okay, so let's say six on top, six on the bottom, or five on top. Okay, I can see that, how that would work. The uh, ad for the big stuff is on YouTube, and it's pretty great. And naturally, the jingle is a riff on Gene Knight's Mr. Big Stuff, because, of course. And hell, Oreo could afford it. <laughs> well, we mentioned earlier at the top of the episode that the classic Oreo twist behavior has been part of the brand's identity from very early on, back in the 20s. But what does your preference for Oreo consumption patterns say about you? Well, according to one widely disseminated study, and we use that term loosely, done by Kraft in 2004, uh, they studied the habits of 2,000 Oreo eaters, 
Dunkers are supposed to be, quote, energetic, adventurous, and social, while Twisters are, quote, sensitive, emotional, artistic, and trendy. (laughs) And finally, Biters are, quote, easygoing, self-confident, and optimistic. I can talk to that. (laughs) (laughs) This is probably a bad time to ask, which one are you? Uh, is there a, a, a pithy phrase for when you just reach your hand into a bag of loose crumbled ones and just kind of shove a fistful in your mouth? Your bag is balanced on your stomach and you're watching uh, Northern Exposure on a laptop <laughs> instead of going on to work because you can't raise your head that day. Is there a word for that? <laughs> That's the depression technique of eating Oreos. I mean, I don't understand <laughs> the... When you twist it apart, are you supposed to lick the center? Because you can't lick the cream because it's solid. Well, you know we have Mr. Sam Porcello to thank for that. Right. But you scrape I guess it off you with your teeth your, like an artichoke? If you, if you hold your tongue. Like, yeah, like an artichoke. Exactly. No, you just hold it up to your tongue until you, the body temperature heats it up and it'll slide it off. The, I have no idea what I'm talking about. I think, honestly, like in all of my lockdown bodega snack runs, I think I got... <laughs> Nutter butters like every yeah. time. I'm not a, like a do both of us not like Oreos. <laughs> Weird thing to come up an hour eight into this podcast. I mean, uh, they're fine. No, I mean, to me, it's like the sprite of cookies. It's like that's what you have at the party when there's nothing else there and you'll have it, but like <laughs> feel something, anything. Perhaps unsurprisingly, given the love that people have for Oreos, science has gotten involved more than once. In the late 90s, Len Fisher, a physics professor at the University of Bristol, claimed a decades-old mathematical formula describing capillary action, which is the phenomenon that describes how liquids cling to dry surfaces, could predict the perfect dunk time for a cookie. And using a formula from American scientist E.W. Washburn and testing with ink blots first, he described the perfect amount of time for dipping, quote, regular British biscuits at three and a half to five seconds. Uh, crucially, though, he did not test Oreos. And so in 2016, members of the Utah State University's Splash Lab stepped up to the plate and corrected this grievous error. In a test of Oreos, Chips Ahoy, Nutter Butters, and Graham Crackers, they dipped the cookies halfway in 2% milk for half a second to seven seconds. And after dunking, the team weighed the treats and measured how much milk had been absorbed. The results? I know you're dying to know. Oreos absorbed 50% of their potential liquid weight in just one second. After two seconds, they absorbed 80%. And the number flatlined briefly for a second. And after the fourth second, the cookie maxed out. It absorbed all its possible milk. So if you're dunking your Oreos for more than four seconds, you're wasting your precious time on this planet. So, um, do with that what you will. But for those taking their dipping seriously, which if you listen this far, you probably do, there is a tool for dipping called the Dipper, D-I-P-R, which began with a Kickstarter in 2011, and it's been hailed as the latest and greatest in cookie spoons. It exists so that your Oreo will be dipped evenly, and you won't accidentally drop it in your milk, because again, as we just said earlier, if your Oreo is suspended in milk for more than five seconds, it's worthless. Carry on. I'm just kind of mind boggled that all of these institutions of higher learning have put so much money and time towards f***ing Oreos uh, instead of, I don't know, desalinization or um, cancer, cloud bursting, any of these things that could actually save the world. Uh, while we're on the extremely academic studies of Oreos, there was a study published by researchers at Connecticut College in 2013, which states that Oreos activate the same pleasure center in the brains of lab rats that was activated by cocaine and morphine. The high fat and high sugar triggers the addiction hotspot in the brain. And one student also observed that the rats would, quote, break the Oreos open and eat the middle first. One of the many ways that I am like a rat. Uh, In a less behavioral study that has to do with Oreos, I would like to discuss a little thing called the Oreo run, which we've been we've been teasing this the whole episode. This was a hazing ritual that took place at an Illinois high school that made national headlines in October 2018. 
And according to a piece in the Registrar Star, 10 football players were suspended for taking part in this event, the Oreo Run, which entailed running across the school's football field naked with an Oreo wedged, um, an Oreo enema, shall we say, <laughs> up there. They, they were cramming Oreos up there, left and right, left, right, and center, mostly center. Um, the offending parties were required to, quote, sit out three football games, although given the crime, I'm guessing that they probably stood. No, not even a titter. No, okay. I just, I don't know, man. Just this stuff is so this alien. Is a high school to me. team. So, but I just, that's behavior at all, man. Like, oh, yeah. I mean, I used to put cigarette butts out of my arms for like a party trick, but I didn't put stuff up my ass, especially not foodstuffs. You know, I was told they were starving children across the world. Yeah, your food is for your mouth. Your family sweated for that food. You don't put it in your ass. Take <laughs> this. It's a PSA. And there's no trace of humor in your voice whatsoever right now. It's genuine offense. I mean, I mean, I mean, God bless you. All power to you. I'm, I'm. Yes, I agree with you. I agree with everything wow. you're saying. I, I, I'm glad that this is the hill that we're gonna die on. <laughs> Just bumps me out. I don't know. Weird. Find, find better shit to do with your life, people. Um, Guinness Book of World Records, unsurprisingly, has a lot of entries related to Oreos. On January 30th, 2020, the closest the Western world ever got to true happiness, uh, Mondelez employees from 55 locations representing 32 countries around the globe tuned in and set a new record uh, for most dunked cookies simultaneously. 5,066 employees dunking at the same time. Nearly two years earlier, in April 2018, in April 2018, Mondelez celebrated the opening of a plant in Bahrain with the largest Oreo ever. It was nearly 162 pounds, and uh, it was subsequently distributed among plant employees in the local village. Wow. So, sorry we don't... I don't know. I'm about to make a joke. I don't know if they paid them, how well they paid them, but they got some Oreos. And lastly... Per Guinness, Oreos are officially the world's favorite cookie. Available in more than 100 countries around the globe, approximately 34 billion Oreo cookies are sold each year. That's 92 million cookies per day, with 10 billion of those cookies sold in the U.S. annually. And an estimated 500 billion Oreo cookies have been sold since they debuted in 1912. That is enough to wrap around the earth 381 times or reach the moon and back five times. Wow. This is where you're like, uh, is, yeah, send them to the moon, but not back. I fucking hate Oreos. Jordan run <laughs> I was going to say, do something useful. Use them as a ladder to the moon. Better than eating them. Well, folks, I did not foresee being driven to the brink of madness and back by what you've convinced me is a garbage cookie for idiots. Um, who knew it was Oreos that broke both of us but looking back the scribes will write of this evening women will sing songs and lament and our sons will gnash their teeth and look skyward at all the Oreos encircling the globe and say there's Papa <laughs> thanks for listening I'm Alex Heigl and I'm Jordan Runtog and that's the way the cookie crumbled us both <laughs> <laughs> Too Much Information was a production of iHeartRadio. The show's executive producers are Noel Brown and Jordan Runtog. The supervising producer is Mike Johns. The show was researched, written, and hosted by Jordan Runtog and Alex Heigl. With original music by Seth Applebaum and the Ghost Funk Orchestra. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a review. For more podcasts on iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, 
Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why Gainbridge offers the Parity Flex annuity, designed for women's unique retirement needs, with flexible withdrawals plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. Gainbridge is helping build a better financial future for women. Retirement income you can't outlive is the ultimate flex. Start saving now at Gainbridge.io. Visit Gainbridge.io slash ParityFlex for current rates, full product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive with no children and no casinos. Discover more at Viking.com.